right, Fun With Crypto podcast listeners. Hope everybody's doing well. On this episode of the podcast, I am going to be doing an interview with Mr. Ben Prentice, who has been featured on the Bitcoin Echo Chamber with Heavily Armed Clown. And we just talked about everything Bitcoin philosophy. I mean, we touched on the like the philosophy of monetary policy, the just the, you know, the philosophy of even just, you know, understanding how ideas, you know, get get projected in Bitcoin, how they get handled. And, you know, we even talk about, uh, you know, social layers of Bitcoin that seem to occur um, as a result of, of Bitcoin. So it, it's it was a really amazing talk with Ben. Um, I, I had a a really fun time and I look forward to having him on um, again. So without further ado, here is my talk with Mr. Cool BP. All right, Bitcoin accumulation country. Thanks for joining us again on the Fun with Crypto podcast. I've got with me a uh, very interesting uh, person that uh, I've gone back and forth with on Twitter. Uh, His name is Ben Prentice, and he's been on the uh, Bitcoin echo chamber with Heavily Armed Clown a few times. And I've caught uh, the episodes with him, and I found obviously I found his his explanations behind Bitcoin very interesting, and and the um, the explanations around uh, his belief in monetary the monetary policy and the different aspects of Bitcoin security and whatnot. And him and I have gone back and forth a few times, and uh, we hit it off. And uh, he. Uh, at one point, I uh, I doxed myself uh, with uh, with a tweet of one of my lightning nodes. So uh, he reached out to me and was like, hey, didn't realize that uh, you were a local. So uh, we got to chatting and said, hey, you know what? We definitely got to do a podcast. So, you know, without further ado, I'm going to introduce Ben. Ben, thank you so much for joining me on the Fun With Crypto podcast. I'm really excited to have you here, man. Dude, I'm stoked to be here. What's going on, Koinikarus? Uh, not much, not much at all. Just enjoying the uh, the wonderful New England weather, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you're doxing me now? Oh, you well, to, you don't have to bring me down into your doxing game, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, New England's a big place. There's there's quite a few states right. in New England. Yeah, <laughs> so, we should be okay though. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so I mean, um, you know, obviously, I like I said, you know, I, I've listened to you on uh, Bitcoin Echo Chamber, and um, I, you know. Besides, like before we get into the uh, the whole rabbit hole story, I, I just wanna I, I just want the uh, the listeners to know, like you know, what's uh, what got you started, like before Bitcoin, because there was definitely you know, like before before this point, there was you and and you had your ideas and like, you know, how did this become what it is today? Yeah, I, I the, the more I learned about the world, uh, and the more I learned about how we were constantly improving the technologies that make our lives better. And then I look at, you know, the world and and how it functions and how there is this, you know, I think a lot of concentration of power and concentration of wealth. And it seemed to be at, at, you know, at, at the expense of the people doing all the work. And uh, this is a common theme that you'll see in politics, to this very day that people talk about that, you know, there are the, you know, the greedy capitalist landowners that have enslaved us all through, uh, through their, their greed and profits. And I used to think that profits were a huge problem, um, that, that essentially, you know, that, that capitalism is the problem. And, and I, I 
I turned an eye towards, you know, people, someone like Bernie, you know, I never became like a, you know, a Bernie Sanders type, like, uh, supporter or whatever, but I saw, you know, I saw in that, this, this socialist ideal, this idealism in the world that, oh, well, there's plenty of wealth, you know, and that we just, we need to kind of redistribute it. And I, I actually do think that some of that wealth will be redistributed. But my point is that I, I think a lot of us agree that the system as it exists today is not fair. And uh, there are certainly differing ideas about how to, you know, flatten that that fairness level. And I think technology, you know, as it exists and as it evolves is one of the things that helps flatten that, you know. And uh, there's this great, and, and, and this really continues to answer the question because Andreas was the key for me to understanding Bitcoin. He was also the only first resource I had. Um, and I'm not, you know, I'm not an Andreas maximalist or anything, but uh, he has this great example about um, the the ability to broadcast and this ability to broadcast information. You know, many hundreds of years ago was uh, was relegated to only the people that had um, that that were literate and had scribes um, and could write books. And uh, a lot of that information was disseminated first, you know, through the, the Bibles and the, the Torahs and the Korans. And uh, eventually, you know, Gutenberg with the printing press kind of he leveled it out a little bit more. You know, more people had access to broadcast information worldwide. And in the modern paradigm, it's easy to understand that, you know, in the 1940s and 50s, or I guess 50s is better, uh, people with, you know, $100,000 worth of TV equipment and a satellite uplink and all this such could broadcast now worldwide. Uh, and their message, whatever their message was, whether it might be right or wrong, um, was able to be broadcast worldwide, you know, to everybody. And that that was, again, this ability is now relegated to only these very massive um, TV companies and such. And, you know, we're talking about concentration of wealth and power. So, you know, there's a lot of, <laughs> I'm not the only one saying that these, you know, these media companies are, have a lot of influence. Today, you know, this thing that I'm talking to you on now and these things that we, we can't put down and we're constantly staring at and scrolling at, these little computers in our pockets now allow us to, as you and I are doing essentially right now, broadcast to the world at, at a zero additional cost. You know, once you have the sunk cost of the device, which is pretty much a foregone conclusion by modern, you know, standards that everybody just has one of these. Things. Now, everybody can broadcast worldwide. And that paradigm is still kind of distilling into the world. It's still yes. kind of, you know, coalescing that we're still trying to now figure out, well, now what, right? Because uh, now it's, you know, the the fake news era of, you know, CNN and Fox News. I always like to just bring those up as this kind of <laughs> dichotomy uh, between the two, you know, the left versus the right or whatever. Um, but but really, I, I think the really interesting thing is happening on Twitter. And the reason I think that is, uh, and, and this is hilarious too, because it's like my Twitter story is just like Bitcoin, and and they're tied together because I got onto Twitter because of Bitcoin. Same but here. I avoided, I avoided Twitter for about as long as I avoided Bitcoin. Um, that I was just like, oh well, that's stupid, you know. I I have a lot more to say than 280 characters or whatever, or wasn't it? Didn't it used to be 180 or whatever? Anyway, um, <laughs> the the difference between Twitter and and all the other mediums I've seen is that, like, for example, you know, Reddit. Reddit is 
is by definition an echo chamber. You know, you go to the the Trump subreddit or the Bernie Sanders subreddit. You know, just to keep the conversation in the same vein here, and like that's what you see. And you can go to the Trump subreddit if you're like a Bernie guy, but they'll actually kick you out of the Trump subreddit if you say you're not a like a Trump supporter. This is one of their rules. You know, I'm not saying whether it's right or wrong. It's just that's one of the rules. So. So you have these like silos, right? Yes. These, these echo chambers, and Twitter is is almost the opposite. Where I mean, yes, we can block, you know, and we can we can craft our own echo chambers, but by na- by its nature, I actually got onto Twitter to only see. I'm going to tie this together. I'm going to answer the question. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> I got I got onto Twitter to only see Bitcoin stuff, and you know, by George. Good Lord, I'll, 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 I keep getting all these, you know, markets and, uh, you know, uh, politics and religion and, and not just, you know, philosophy in the sense of Bitcoin, but like literally like I'm seeing all these other spheres just creep in. And it's because of the way that Twitter aggregates information and be- the way that we as humans aggregate information. And the most interesting part of this is that on Twitter, I don't follow ideas. I follow people. Yes. And that is massively interesting. And I unfollow people too, by the way. Um, when, you know, as Colin put it on the Bitcoin echo chamber, they interfere with your uh, intellectual uh, exploration or something. I'm paraphrasing him here. But my, my point is that now, instead of, I think this, this new paradigm of information exchange will eventually solve the fake news problem all by itself. I've been I've been pondering this for quite a while, and a fake news problem is a real problem today. That you know, there's the CNN versus Fox News paradigm, but but it's happening on the internet too. You know, because like they talk about like Facebook and um, Facebook, the, the Cambridge Analytica, and then like you know, Russian bots, and like you know, I, I still think those are issues. But the way that I consume information now is is really interesting, and and I think what is different now is that I evaluate information from many different sources and evaluate them not based on where that information came from, but the content of it. So it's like it's like the Martin Luther King quote. We don't judge the information by the color of its skin. We judge it by the content of its character. And that, once we start to do that as a society, we'll be much better off. And maybe we're not quite ready to do that yet. And there's, you know, we can go into the education system and how it, you know, it, it 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 teaches us to kind of like accept information from authorities and and Andreas talks about that too you know this appeal to authority but yes. I do think that we're moving in the right direction so to, to finally now answer the question I think it took me a long time because I'm a skeptic um, and uh, I think you'll find a lot of bitcoins are skeptics um, and it took Andreas talking about helping you know. You know, he, he talks about like banking the unbanked or whatever, but uh, and and that's that's kind of a meme now. But I, I more mean that he talked about this flat system, you know, and it, about leveling the playing field. I think, and I think the this the problem with our current system is that it is not level. You know, um, I, I I think that's a. <laughs> I don't know. I, I have a much longer answer to that, <laughs> but but that's the short answer. <laughs> that's awesome. No, no, that that's totally awesome. But I want to go back to uh, to something you said about you know uh, being a skeptic because to your point, um, you know, I came to I came to Bitcoin in this way as well. In, in, in 
in terms of it's it's like it took me so long because I was skeptical. And to your point, I, I find most Bitcoiners, especially like I guess you'd say hardened Bitcoiners, like are extreme skeptics. And and I've I've quoted this before and I've tweeted this before, but it's like every single day I wake up and I try to destroy Bitcoin and every day I fail. And the only thing I can do now is just go and accumulate more and use it. So it's like, it's like every day I wake up and I'm like, all right, I'm like, there's got to be the angle. I, I'm going to see it and I can, I, I can now break it down and, and get away from it. And then I'm like, no, nah, I can't do that because it actually doesn't break in that way. And then I'm back to square one again. And I'm like, okay, it's the best again. And I go and accumulate more. <laughs> so I think I've heard <laughs> you say that before. And I, 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 I do the same thing. And, and, and we actually, you know, I have some friends that, um, I made through a, a group that Justin Moon started a while ago on, um, that I think is now kind of starting to die off, but it was, it was amazing for the six months we were talking about Austrian economics in the, um, in the context of Bitcoin. Uh, and it was like a, it's just like a book club. <laughs> we were reading yeah. all these Austrian economics texts and, uh, and we were talking about the same idea that it was like, you know, like, wait, guys, are we crazy? And, and Zane, you know, my buddy Zane Pocock, he goes, uh, well, the fact that we ask this question every week, are we crazy, uh, is it, it means at least we're, you know, we're questioning it. And and Marty Bent does that on every episode. Too. Yeah. He goes, you know, man, like at the very end, he's always like, you know, are we crazy, man? Or is it, are, maybe we're crazy. And and that shows at least that, we, you know, we're not just like this crazy cult of people. Oh, Bitcoin, what, what? It's like at least we're like trying to kill it every day. I love that that uh, that phrase that we I, I wake up every day and try to kill it. Um, I fail, man. You know? It's tough. It's it it's it's very tough to understand how Bitcoin can like take over global money, and that's why skeptics will certainly dismiss Bitcoin. And I I did in you know you know in twenty twenty twelve or twenty thirteen or whatever. But same. It, it, somewhere around twenty seventeen, I was like, this thing is still going, and it keeps getting. Why is it getting bigger? And that's you know, yeah. I think a lot of people have that same story. That's like. All right, let me at least take a look at this thing. And uh, yeah, the rest is history, man. I mean, that was a year and a half ago now. So, so actually, let's uh, let's go into a bit of the uh, the your you know the uh, the rabbit hole story you mentioned, twenty seventeen. So, let me ask you this: I I came into Bitcoin um, prior to the Bcash fork. Um, okay, you were just before me. <laughs> like I was just there before, but again, it was because I was using BTC. Um, and th that's how I came to it originally was through, uh, was through actual use. I didn't even really think of it as an investment vehicle, as a store of value. I was just like, this is internet money. It's super mm -hmm. cool. Let me try to use this and see how this goes. And then one of my buddies like is the one that tuned me into that. Hey, this is more than just, it, it's not just a medium of exchange. You can, you know, it does other things. You can store value with it. And then, then of course, I went down the, the dark side and found a, uh, an exchange. So, and... <laughs> well, that's what I think is so interesting you know, so. about Bitcoin. Is it's so many different things to so many different people. To Peter McCormick, and, and this might be similar to your story, I'm not sure. To Peter McCormick, um, love him or hate him, uh, <laughs> he got into Bitcoin to, to get a medication that he thought would help his mother that he couldn't get any other way. That's right. Uh, it, it enabled this trade, you know, this, this plant that people buy and sell and grow that grows naturally 
uh, a government said that he couldn't have. And he said, eh, I don't really, you know, there's this, there's this uh, quote about like uh, when, a, when a government institutes a law that somebody thinks is immoral, then the person has the horrible opportunity to decide between being unlawful or going against their own morals. And this was a case of Peter uh, going against the law because he thought he was doing what was morally right to help his mother. And whether it just helped comfort her, I mean, obviously it didn't save her life. Um, you know, it's, a, it's just such a sad story, but maybe it did help her in some way. And uh, that, that was Bitcoin to Peter at first, you know? Yep. And to some people in Venezuela, I have a few friends in Venezuela now. I did an interview with um, one guy, but I have another friend I just made. And what an amazing, uh, un, un, unbelievable story it is to live in that country. But this guy is like, and listen, I know, I know Bitcoin isn't saving Venezuela or whatever, but he, he's, you know, both of these guys essentially say that this is the only way that they can survive. You know, buying U.S. dollars on the street is really not an option for them. Um, and if you're not familiar with the, the I, I assume pretty much everyone, all of your listeners are familiar with the situation in Venezuela, but the, the money is just... Um, it's just, a, it's evaporating, you know, it, it's on a straight down path and the, anything other than um, Venezuelan boulevards uh, will store their value, including goods. So like when they get their money, they immediately go and spend all of their money that like, if you get paid, if you have a job of any kind and you get boulevards, which is what most people transact in because of, you know, the, you know, the government says you have to transact in boulevards, uh, they don't say that, you know, cryptocurrency is illegal. In fact, they have their own shitcoin. But everybody's still using boulevards. Um, and they, they, all of the people, then nobody saves boulevards. They immediately go and spend the money. So, like, they know exactly what they're going to purchase when they, you know, they get their payday. And uh, what some people do is they purchase some Bitcoins to just store their value. And then when they do need to go to transact, they, you know, they go back into boulevards and then go immediately sell it. Um, sell their boulevards, the buy, buy goods is what I mean. Uh, so that's, you know, that's. Oh, you, you just. Bitcoin is this store of value thing oh, so um, to people in, in, in Africa and Asia, they're, you know, um, I think the Philippines, they're using it as a remittance tool. So they're using it as a long distance sending tool. Um, to, you know, people in the first world, we are using as a speculative savings account, you know? So it's a lot of different things to a lot of different people. It's this very, very crazy, far-reaching technology that I think that even the, you know, the rabid Bitcoiners among us are still trying to decipher the implications of this technology today. It's to, to your point, it just marries so many different things together. I want to touch back on something you said about Peter, okay? Um, and and it's, it's very important because I think what people don't realize is, is that all of these technologies, right? All these technologies that bring us closer together reduce friction. And Bitcoin helps reduce friction at, um, I, I'd say, like at the, at the medium of exchange level. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's like to oh, me, like sure. that's really key. I mean, if you take a look, like think of it like this, right? Um, you know, like the, uh, you know, pagers, cell phones, all of these things like, you know, they were used I, at first, you know, in terms of mainstream society, they were used by the fringes, which were people doing sketchy stuff. 
and then eventually it it moved into mainstream. And the reason why those technologies get adopted first is because um, the you know like the law doesn't have a very good handle on them yet, and they they offer to reduce friction. And then eventually, what happens is is they end up reducing friction for everybody. You know, when when the yeah, when the technology gets adopted, one of those, you know, right? Well, I think that's going to be one of those slowly and then suddenly things. I mean, you know, t- today Bitcoin is not widely used as a medium of exchange, and I think it's a long way from that. And oh yeah, in order to understand what you know, and you got you got you know you got Roger Ver um, pushing the narrative that it it. The reason for that is that the, the fees are too high, and I, I think you know I think he 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 would be it would behoove him to do a little bit more reading on you know the, the origins of money you know by Nick Zabo uh, Z- Zabo like I never pronounce his name <laughs> okay so um, and, and to learn about you know like Stephen's book also goes into the, you know the history of money and and how how money's come to be on a free market. Well, you know what? Let's talk about uh, the uh, the fees being too high. Let me ask you this, okay? As a fellow Bitcoiner, you were back there in 2017. You saw the fees, right? We And let me ask you this. Did the fees ever come into question when doing a Bitcoin transaction for you? Uh, for me, no, but I wasn't transacting in 2017. Well, I could tell you this. For me, I didn't care. Why didn't I care? Because I wanted to use Bitcoin. <laughs> it's like that's so this 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 BS about the fees, man. This is like a it's it's like a very it's like a dangerous narrative that like where people who people who don't understand enough about Bitcoin end up becoming shitcoiners. Right. Because now all, because now all of a sudden they're they're getting attracted to cheap money again. And I think that that is you know? true. But I think it it, it also. More importantly than that, even is that they're really looking at it the wrong way. That you know, they, this is not PayPal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is a new monetary paradigm, and I, I keep seeing. You know, I was, I was sparring a little bit with some of these market guys, like Ra- Raul. Um, I was, you know, I heard Stefan kind of going back and forth with him, and um, I, I think it's Ra- Raul Jamai, who very intelligent guy, understands markets very well, but I don't know if he really like has spent the time that Stefan Libera has on, you know, Mangarian or- origins of money or, or Zeboian origins of money and like how new monies come to be uh, quite the opposite. In fact, they are entrenched in the status quo of just government makes money. And that's, you know, what it is. And, and, and I think they're all starting to ask these questions of themselves and, and hopefully, Hopefully the, the really smart guys and the influential people can do the research and, and really try to understand this stuff. But, I, don't, I you know, as much as people like that understand the markets, I, I don't think that they understand how new money come to be. Uh, and there's another guy who um, is similar, but not not like Raul. Is it Ben Hunt? Oh, yeah. Absalom? And that's a really interesting one because I, I think he potentially does understand this stuff, but he just... So he's like me in 2013 or, or 2014 or whatever. That's like, oh, this could never work. You know, the governments will shut it down. And a lot of my smart friends will say that. And uh, I, I, I certainly do believe that a lot of governments will ban it. And I, I do. I also believe that that's really only going to hurt them and, and their um, 
But I, I do think it will happen. I think more governments will ban it. You know, some have already have. But, but do, you know, it's like, it's like trying to ban, it's like trying to ban the printing press. It's like trying to ban the cell phone, you know? Yep. Uh, it, I don't think, it, you know, this, this technology is not going away. You, you could try to kill the Bitcoin network, and I think that would be very difficult to do and very expensive. But you might actually be relatively successful in doing that. But what about the other 3,000, you know, or, 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 or even then, like, even if you kill the Bitcoin network, you know, the, could the UTXO set just be ported to a new technology or whatever? And I, I don't think it can go away at this point. It's, it's like the cat's out of the bag. It is. You know, governments will try to regulate around it and they'll be successful in some ways and they'll be unsuccessful in some ways. You know, I, I was talking to, uh, I was speaking to somebody uh, recently um, about actually exactly what you're talking about, and you know, the, the the perspective was was very interesting because a lot of people think that governments don't really understand cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin, and actually, the governments really understand it very well, and they they're keen, they're much more keen on this than than we think, okay. So I, I think like if you take a look, like, look, man, like look at the Internet, right? Look at your, to your point, like look at cell phone technologies. Everybody in the government today has a cell phone. Everybody's on the Internet. The government uses the Internet. Like, you know what I mean? It's like they, they couldn't ban it. They couldn't stop it. Sure. At first they try. And like you said, they're going to try to regulate around it. And that's exactly what they're going to do. They're going to regulate around it because it's all they can do. You know, so I, I'm like... And not that's not to say that I necessarily agree that the governments understand it very well, but it was interesting to hear that perspective and be and and got me thinking. I'm like, you know what? It's my own bias that makes me think that the government doesn't understand it. It's it's like well, almost like that's what I want to believe. You know, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think that you know the the way that we talk about the government is probably not necessarily helpful to understanding. You know. Colin and I have discussed on the Bitcoin echo chamber these these kind of macro ideas of you know what 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 are na nation states plays you know which you know what cards do they have left to play or whatever uh, but I, I think the, the the thing that we bring up that is really interesting is that the government is not a single entity and and doesn't always act as one it is you know a bunch of individual humans and mm -hmm. if if there is this guy that's doing as much research on on bitcoin as some you know people like nick carter or whatever uh you, you know maybe he turned into a bitcoiner and now he's trying yes. to convince everybody and he's like oh nope you can't kill it oh well it's like oh. better buy bitcoin you know, who knows what's happening in there and 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 certainly there's somebody in the government being like uh, let's not do this. Like, oh, I think his name is Brad Sherman, and uh, <laughs> just expose you know the the value proposition of this currency um, to the uh, to the Congress or whatever he was talking to. So it, there's it's a bunch of individual actors, and and there's all these checks and balances in our government, and uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out, especially you know in the light of the fact that you know the, the U.S. Congress is talking about shit coins now, and um, everyone is looking at the difference between what Facebook would be, or, you know, Facebook's currency or whatever it would be, and what Bitcoin is, and I, I'm, I'm just happy that we're finally having this conversation on a worldwide scale. And, and it's funny because I'm saying finally, and it took me, you know, nine years to really start having the conversation too. So, but uh, regardless, it's good that the conversation is happening nonetheless, right? Absolutely.
So, so look, so you and I, we, you know, I, I tried to go on a, uh, on, on a path, but uh, we're having such a, we're having such a good conversation that uh, I totally, I, I totally missed. I, I wanted to, I wanted you to, uh, uh, if you can uh, give the listeners, like, what's your, uh, what's your rabbit hole story? Like, how did you actually get into it in 2017? Uh, so I don't know if you're aware or not, but in 2017, the price went up a lot. <laughs> oh yeah, it did. Uh, so <laughs> like crazy. Yeah. So like, uh, yeah, like I read about, um, Bitcoin on slash dot probably 2011. Uh, and I was like, Oh cool. Anonymous internet money. That's interesting. Uh, and actually I wanted to get some, um, a few times, but I, I couldn't figure out a way to get it anonymously. So I didn't, and I, I kind of forgot about it and you see it on like, you know, TV shows that like criminals use it. Um, and it, you know, kind of was always in the back of my mind, but I, I, you know, I remember reading about it really early on and being like, that's, that's kind of a crazy thing. Um, you know, let's not just, you know, drop all my U S dollars and buy it. Uh, but I, you know, I didn't, I really didn't get that far into it. Um, I just like kind of understood the protocol at a very base level and, uh, I, I didn't really understand the implications of it uh, for sure. Um, and in 2017, the price went up. Um, and like I, I fully admit this is the reason I started paying attention. Um, mostly because uh, it it kept coming up everywhere. Uh, you know, like yes. not just like I saw the price go up, but like I saw like more people talking about the conversations you know going on. And I was like, I'm going to take another look at this thing because I don't understand why that's happening. And I'd like to understand that. I'm always like the type of person that tries to understand as much about the world as possible. And uh, what's really interesting is that in trying to understand Bitcoin, I think I understand the world about five times better than I did a year and a half ago. I feel like, so, you know, I was telling you at the very beginning of this that it, it seemed like the world was just overly unfair to the people that are working the hardest, despite all these amazing improvements in technology that we already talked about, help level the playing field and help everybody. It seemed like it was getting almost worse, despite all these amazing progresses. And now it, it all makes perfect sense to me. And, and, and my thesis now, in, in, in having gone down that rabbit hole, is that Inflation is the biggest problem we face today. Uh, and I did a thread about this, and uh, uh, I guess it did okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that in, inflation is, is, is what everybody's talking about in the election right now. Um, they're talking about the, pri- the, pri- you know, the cost of medical care, um, the cost of housing, um, cost of food may not come up as much, but that is a, that is a factor as well. Um, inflation, the increase in prices and the increase in the monetary supply, depending on who you're asking, uh, I think is the biggest problem that society faces today. That's that's the real rabbit hole. And uh, I think this is relatively straightforward to explain to people. Um, and and that's that's my new goal is to, to try to show people how inflation is destroying our society. Yes. And, and actually, OK, you know what? On that point, I... Um... So for me, that's the same type of angle that I use when I talk to people about Bitcoin or they start asking me questions about it. I go, I go with the aspect because you, you have to make it, you have to make it personal, right? It, it has to affect a person at, at that core level where they understand. And why do I care about Bitcoin? That's exactly. just a bunch of nerds on the, on the internet with their like weird drugs and stuff. 
Exactly. Why should I care? Yeah. Why? Why would I? You know, that only that only matters if everybody buys it, right? Yes. Well, that only matters if everybody buys it. That's I. I mean, again, so now we're going to go into that that kind of idea, right? Of like, you know, is it is it that we all have this shared illusion? And I know, like, I've had this discussion with Stefan Levera, and I know he he does like you know, like uh, the idea that money is is the shared illusion. Um, and I forget yeah. who it was that had a debate uh, about that, but I think Neil 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 Woodfine, who is now rebranded to Neil Meatfine. Um, had a really interesting thread about that. So uh, go look that up. I I don't think it's really as... I mean, yeah, it's an interesting kind of thought thing that uh, money's a fair to lose in, but I, 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 I don't agree now. And I think Neil did change my mind a little bit. Um, and I'm not going to be able to reiterate his arguments here, so I recommend going to look up that thread. Okay. But uh, Stefan makes it very simple when he says it's it's simple. Money is the most saleable good. It is the most liquid good. Yep. And it tends to converge on one, um, or maybe two. You know, um, and and it's possible that you know Andreas talks about you know a lot of people criticize Andreas for supporting Ethereum, um, for not being a Bitcoin maximalist. Um, I, I suppose that there is a possibility of this, quote, long tail Pareto distribution, but I still think that Bitcoin will probably absorb. I, I personally think that Bitcoin is going to take the vast majority of the monetary liquidity in the world yeah. in the future. I, I, do, uh, I do agree. I, I don't think there's really room for much shitcoins um, because uh, liquidity is king. Uh, I, th- I think I always say this to uh, everyone I, on every podcast, but I think it's so important that Safedine, he said, uh, it was just in some random Twitter thread, too. It wasn't like one of his big things, but liquidity is king. And and the, his demonstration of that, his example, is that second layer gold beat first layer silver because liquidity is king. And, you know, he talks about stock to flow. Um, it, what I've been getting into recently is this idea that, you know, Austrian economists advocated for gold and they didn't advocate, you know, uh, Eric Voskuel was a really interesting thinker, um, kind of rails on Safedine for talking about the stock to flow hardness of a money. Okay. Um, and, 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 and actually Eric has some interesting points there because Eric is very ardent about being, um, using only logic um, and deduction and, um, not using like empiricism or, or data to prescribe, uh, you know, how we should move forward uh, economically speaking. Uh, and this is a very Austrian concept. So, you know, it's very weird to see, you know, these two people that you both respect uh, that are vehemently disagreeing on this main topic. So, I, you know, I went um, to, well, with Austrians are proponents of gold. Um, why is that? Why are they allowed to be proponents of gold? And what's their argument? Well, the, the argument is that gold already won. It already emerged on the free market. So they support it as the people's choice of money. They're not saying gold stock to flow was better than the rest of them. It's um, just that it already emerged as the best money. And maybe that stock to flow thing, essentially that, to try to sum up what I'm trying to say here, uh, is that I think think bitcoin is already emerging as gold did in a free market um as 
the money of the world. You know, its dominance is almost indisputable in any metric you look at. Um, I That's why I advocate for Bitcoin. And I think Safedine's argument to understand the appearancism behind it, um, while maybe not rooted exactly in Austrian theory and, and methodology, uh, I still think it does help support why. But um, I don't know. That's that's my kind of rant on, you know, the emergence of, of money. And uh, I, I think that, you know, th- this is a conversation that I'd like to see happen more and, and, you know, not have, you know, these people just blocking each other or whatever. I, I, I do think it's extremely interesting. And I like hearing different perspectives on it because, uh, you know, we we as Bitcoiners do not always agree. And that that is totally great. One of my favorite things to do is disagree with people that I think are extremely intelligent. That's um, why well, I like talking to Eric, because I don't always agree with him, but he's a very intelligent guy. And he has been thinking about this far longer than I have. So. Well, it's, it's to your point, you know, I mean, it, it's very important to, you know, number one, to, to be willing to challenge your own ideas. Because what, what a lot of people don't realize about human behavior is that, you know, we marry ideas you know, it's, it's like all of a sudden we take ownership of these ideas and then we take them personally and then it becomes this personal attack. And now all of a sudden I'm defending this, not, not because of its, of, of its properties or its qualities, but I'm defending this because it's my idea. You know what I mean? Like, it's dogma. It's it, dogma. Exactly. And, and Have you like, seen the movie Dogma? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there's, there's one quote in that movie. I mean, the movie is just a comedy. Um, yeah. <laughs> some interesting religious perspective and philosophy, if you like to get into that stuff. But uh, my favorite quote from that movie um, is one of my favorite quotes from any movie. Uh, and he says, and I'll paraphrase here, and this is Chris Rock talking. Nice. Um, <laughs> and he says something along the lines of, uh, oh, i got to remember this quote. This is so good. Don't worry. This is worth it. Um, you can change an idea. Uh, ideas are powerful, but beliefs, beliefs are far trickier to change. Um, and, I, and I think it goes on a little bit, but this idea that, you know, if we hold ideas in our head, they're malleable. You know, I think Pierre is always saying, and I don't think it's a Pierre quote, but he always says, uh, uh, idea, a strong ideas weakly held or something like that. But, but when you have belief, um, it's very difficult to change them, and I think that's what you were you were talking about. I'm just I'm just reiterating exactly yes. what you said. If you if you believe in fiat money, it's going to be very difficult to, um, you know, to entertain the idea of Bitcoin. And if you believe in Bitcoin, it's going to be very hard to entertain the idea of something else, I suppose. But um, you know, let's have ideas and let's 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 hash them out, right? Exactly. <laughs> you know, like it's to you know to to that to that point, it's important to have those ideas and. Um, to be able to think critically about them, you know, and and be able to just simply, uh, I think what I'm trying to say is don't put any emotion into them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like like there's a the, 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 there's a term uh, called bare attention, and and essentially it, it's 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 part of mindfulness. Okay, and and that's exactly what it is to to examine ideas as they are. They're not happy or sad. They're not good or bad. They're they're simply as they are. Information that we look at, and that we have to decide based on their merits. And and that's that's something that like I, I find like oftentimes you know when we see these arguments or these discussions on on Bitcoin, um, this kind of goes back to that 
you know, destroying fake news, the the ideas that are that are argued objectively on their merits, um, they stand the test of time. You know, the the quotes that people put out that are that that are, you know, built on properties and again, that objective that that objective reality, those are the quotes that stand the test of time. You know, it's it it's really, really interesting. And I find that Bitcoin really brings that out. You know, like because if, if your if your argument is soft or and, and and you're too heavily emotionally involved in it, you're going to, you know, not it's not about winning or losing, but yes, you're gonna lose. You know? <laughs> like you you are. You're gonna lose because what's happening is is that you're arguing with your emotion. You're not arguing with the merit of the information that you have. So And another interesting thing about this space, I agree with that. Um another interesting thing about this space is that you know, we are arguing about, uh, you know, the emergence of money is something that hasn't happened for, for, for hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, you know, like gold and silver were like the last two in recent memory. So we're arguing, uh, and trying to, you know, say that we're authorities on the information, um, uh, of a completely new paradigm because it's not just the emergence of monies. Now this is the emergence of, um, digital commodities you know which is a brand new concept um in, in the digital age and 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 by the way i love this uh who is it that is that michael goldstein that talks about uh, the monetization of a good in real time you know well, you know the monetization of gold look this is all now happening like oh can you hear me it, it, uh this is all oh okay well it, it's all happening like right now at the speed of light and and this this yes. this gets to your idea about uh, you know bitcoin time that you mentioned when we were having a chat right before the pod is that like oh man time just seems to pass very strangely for me now um yes. it's and it's because i think for me it's like there was a life uh i had that i didn't really understand the i, I feel like i understand the world better i mentioned that earlier and and it's like it's like pre-2017 life and then like 2017 onward that like I now denominate time differently from that. It's like a new epoch for me. And I think, I think human, the human race will do the same thing. It'll be 2009 and before and 2009 and after. I think that this is a brand new paradigm uh, that has is, is just changed the rules. You know, um, people talk about game theory a lot, but uh, I, I, Eric Voskiel has gotten me to modify that to to really following the incentives. It's much simpler to say and much simpler to understand uh, that, uh, you know, the incentives are, are, are really different now. Um, if, if, if Bitcoin can uh, disintermediate, in, disintermediate the need for government money um, and, and show the world that, that we can just, you know, as, as, as Andreas says, exit the system, um, and, and provide a stable, um, liquid store of value and, and medium of exchange and, and unit of account for the world that, that, that maybe the governments won't resist as, you know, they'll try to resist and they realize that they can't anyway. Um, well, the reality is, is that if the governments can get their cut, right? That's all they really care about. I mean, in in the end, the you know the the governments, I think, you know, clearly they're bad at monetary policy. Okay, so 
like obviously they they can't be trusted right because they're they're just going to do what is easiest which is just simply you know print us into a total you know shithole so but they that's can't the that's the incentives. That's it's exactly. Not it's a problem of evil. incentives. Yes. No. No. Yeah. Exactly. I totally agree with that. It is an issue of incentives. But the machine that is the government, right? Because of the incentive structure, cannot do the right thing. So if we take this monetary uh, production away from them, right? Then they can't. They can't harm us in that way. Or at least I'd like to believe they can't harm us in that way. You know. To paraphrase Milton Friedman. Uh, you've got to, uh, if you want to change things, you've got to make it profitable for the wrong people to do the right thing. Yes. And again, um, that's the incentives. So I, I, I would push back on one thing you said, which yeah. is as long as the government gets their cut, then they'll be okay with it. Uh, I, I disagree. I think that Bitcoin is going to expose the cut that they're taking right now. Oh. And and that's what I mean about inflation is that this is this hidden clandestine way of extracting wealth from people um, and, and giving it to not just governments, but like, you know, the people on top, the the 1% and the 0.1%. Um, I, I don't know why I feel like I'm the only Bitcoiner that talks about this inequality thing. Uh, I think, I think people might misunderstand a little bit. Um, I don't believe that, uh, that everyone should have the same amount of money. Um, that is not what I'm trying to say here. What I'm trying to say is I think this current system, um, it, it, it stratifies wealth and it, it gives wealth to people that are simply already on top and it keeps them on top. Yeah. Um, and you know, I have a lot of threads. If you, if you read through all the threads that are into, uh, my right now, um, can you hear me now? I can. Yeah. I have a, I have I don't want to lay out all these arguments right now on this podcast, but if you want to see my arguments for why, you can head to my profile. I have it. Uh, all my threads are pinned right there. Um, but but I believe that this system is is actively keeping people with lots of money on top, and it's keeping the people, the poorest people, down. So uh, again, I'm not a socialist. I'm not trying to say we should, you know, um, we should just redistribute all the money, right? Uh, I think a wealth transfer is already happening. That's part of, you know, Bitcoin's monetization process. But um, that I do believe that this is a current problem that um, I I don't hear Bitcoiners talk about because I think that they're afraid to suggest that we should redistribute wealth. Uh, And again, that is not what I'm trying to say, but that that the system is broken itself, um, that it, it rewards people for simply being on top. That's right. It's it's not it's it's not actually rewarding them based on um, I, I guess you'd say like a like a generally accepted metric or something like that. Like it's you know it, again the problem is inflation, right? Yeah. Uh, and the, the the simple answer is that with inflation you don't have a liquid store value money because the store value feature is, is gone, right? That's we, right. we, we uh-huh. intentionally removed that store value feature from money in order to get people to spend because, quote, that makes the economy better. Right. But uh, it turns out that just people just end up storing their money elsewhere. And the people that are the wealthiest have the best access to those things. Yes. So m- my point is that I think Bitcoin gives everybody a liquid store value money. Um, and and that's a great thing. 
And everybody, and I think that to a certain extent, everybody deserves it. I mean, let's be honest, right? Why should somebody extremely wealthy be able to store their time value better than somebody who's not? What, what, like, in the end, we're all humans. So yeah. why, why should It's they... funny because I hear everyone talk about... I hear everyone talk about the... I'm sorry to interrupt you. Oh, no. I hear everyone talk about the Cantillian effect. And I, and I think that's important. Um, to understand that people that are close to the new source of money, you know, uh, that they they stand to benefit more because they can spend their money yeah. before the prices rise. And that's that is a, a thing that is tied to inflation. However, I think that this lack of store of value for the poor is the most important thing. And and, and what's amazing is when I argue with Keynesians about this, their argument is that the poor don't have any savings. And I say, that's my fucking point. Excuse my English. That's my point. They don't have any savings for a very good reason. They don't even have a way to save their money because it is evaporating. It's it's like Venezuela in slow motion. That's right. That, that is, I totally agree. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the most, it's, it's the most ridiculous thing in the world, but uh, you know what? And now we can, you were talking about education before, but let's, you know, let's be honest. They don't, you know, one of the things I'm sure you remember this from uh, from economics, like I remember this in, in economics. I never took economics in high school. <laughs> oh, so there, so there you go. I mean, like, and, and in my I case, went, huh? I went to a hippie school where we didn't have to take classes. So uh, nice. Yeah. Everybody paint. <laughs> you know? So I, I was, it's funny because I'm fresh. I never learned the economics than most people. I've only learned Austrian economics. That, that's actually awesome because I could tell you in the general school system, and, and I'm originally from, from Montreal, so uh, I'm giving you the perspective from like a, a Canadian, but um, in, in economics, man, they don't explain to you properly, you know, the, the true implications of money, you know, and what money is. All they do is explain to you how people use money today, okay, and they show you like a basic ledger book. They show you how money goes in and money goes out, but they don't explain to you the most important part of money, which is what you touched on, is that the base asset that money is supposed to be pinned to is completely gone. And as a result, all you have is inflation. Well, so, they, they did that intentionally and they told us that's right. for the greater good. But um, and, and I, they again, I think that and they don't just let you because argue it's a for sure, you know, but that's it's... because it's a foregone conclusion, right? That if you know, if I in two thousand eight went to the governments and said, "Hey guys, you know, I have this better form of money. I think we should stop using fiat because of the inflation. Let's use this." They, you know, I'm I'm assuming they'd all laugh at me, you know, uh, and and probably anybody I went to on the street too and said, "Hey guys, let's use this brand new money. Um, I think it's better." They'd probably all laugh at me too because it just it's accepted that just governments control money. You know, there's another great quote about that. That's like, uh, you know, most most economists, usually proponents of the free market, um, stop short at money and just insist that the government must regulate it, that's must right. supply it. Uh, that's, I mean, we just accept this as a foregone conclusion. Exactly. It's the tyranny of the status quo. Dogma. <laughs> Dogma. Yes, exactly. It's like, and, and and it's true. It's like you know, like I I remember. So you know, we're talking about that. It's a foregone conclusion, right? That that governments produce money. Like I I remember being like, uh, what was it? Like maybe seventeen or eighteen, and I started to like. I read this little book, right, called the Little Book of Money or the Little Money Book. Okay. And, and obviously they talk about the shells and, and, you know, talk about all different, you know, 
you know, like different aspects of like how money gets created and whatnot. And like, I finally, I get to this book and I'm like, it, like I get to the end of this tiny little book that tries to explain money as simply as it can to you. And the only conclusion I came to at the end was, oh my God, we've been hoodwinked. <laughs> like it, it's, you know, and, I want to read this now. Sorry? <laughs> I want to read the book now. <laughs> yeah. I'll, uh, you know what? I'll, uh, I'll send you the link to it. it it's, it's actually pretty, it's, it's good. And, and it does, uh, it does explain it simply. I thought you were going to say it gets to the end and then we're like, and then we adopted government money and everything was great. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no. It, it totally goes into like how, you know, the debasement of money from gold and. Exp- oh. oh, yeah. But it does it. But it does it simply. I'll, I'll send you the link after. I'll, I'll post it even in the uh, in the show notes for listeners who, uh, you know, who want to check it out. And and actually, speaking of the uh, the show notes, I'm going to uh, I'll uh, I guess I, I'll post a link to your uh, to your profile so people can go and check out you know, your, um, your, your tweet threads and everything. Thanks, man. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. But, um, yeah, no, going back to the, uh, you know, going back to what we were just, uh, you know, what we were just uh, discussing with, uh, you know, with education and whatnot. So, you know, it's like they, they don't, especially what they don't teach is they, they don't teach people really about the importance of putting your money in these other investment vehicles. You know what I mean? Like essentially it's like when there's, when there's only fiat, right? You have no choice but to diversify. And the only people who can afford to diversify are people who have um, chosen either to educate themselves in that manner, that they understand that they have to diversify, or they had somebody in their lives who was already financially literate that was able to teach them that. But the point I'm trying to make is is that they had no choice but to diversify. So if right. you want to store your value, you now all of a sudden either hand your money to a financial, you know, a, a, what's it called? A financial advisor or something like that. So again, trusting your money to some centralized third party that's just going to make decisions for you. Or you now have to take on the second job of becoming an investment guru, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, like, I, and I start trading stocks. I, I know what you're saying. I don't think it's so occulted, this idea that, you know, preserving your, your, your wealth long term is a... It, it is not a good idea in in fiat dollars uh you know i think you know a lot of people have iras um and 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 investment accounts and obviously those aren't just stored in cash um oh. so it, it you know it's not it's not like that this, this is a, a hidden truth um for you know anybody that's really asking the question but true but your your point that's way more important is that some people have better access to this stuff and and my argument is that People, you know, the poorest among us have no access to this. They, they live paycheck to paycheck. And anything that they can squirrel away, they need it to be liquid. So yes. that they could spend it if they needed it, you know, if something came up. Um, and I think the wealthier you are, the more of your wealth you can afford to store in these assets that appreciate in value. Uh, that's, that's, that's the problem with inflation. That's why it stratifies, you know, the wealth. It goes back to uh, something also that you said before, and and we've heard this, I think, in other podcasts, but uh, the people closest to the money production get the most value out of that, yeah, out, the, out of that money. The Cantillion effect, or Cantillion yeah. effect. <laughs> I know, I can't pronounce it right. <laughs> it, it's like Keynesian. I, I've heard other people pronounce it Keynesian, and, yeah. and I'm like, I, I have no idea. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I've got no clue. Uh, um, you know, the, the flip side of this is deflation, right? 
Um, yes. Which I don't talk about as often, but probably just as important. And I, you know, I think I always end up talking about the same things, but I, I, I still, I'd still like to see this conversation happen more. So I'm going to continue to do that. <laughs> so, but, um, deflation is how we measure progress in society. Um, when you look at the last hundred years and you point to how our living standards have increased, which has been my, you know, I've heard that this is the argument for government money. Look how well we are doing. We use government money and they'll point to how our living standards have increased. Right. And how have our living standards have increased by access to more affordable things? Our electronics are better. You know, we've better um, we've better technology in our houses and around us. And, and that's from deflation. I like that point, and I, I totally, I actually, I, I do agree with that. Um, I, I, I definitely agree with that. And actually, I was thinking about this. You know, a lot of people say to your point, okay, look at how far along we've come, you know. But they, I, I don't know if people really attribute that to deflation. I, I, they I, don't. I, I, they, That's my point. <laughs> they, they, they think that it has to do with the fact that we, you know, that we have, look, look, you know, like that we have access to all of this money. And look, look, look at the system, the current money system that we have. Look at how it created all of this wealth and all of this boom. But my question is... And I argue is, that it happened despite that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It happened despite that. And my other, my question is, how much better would it be if we would have used... A def- like a deflationary currency or something, you know, obviously something with scarcity and a hard cap and a monetary policy that can't be manipulated by the governments. You know, like we always sit there and look at how far we are, but I think we'd be, and, and of course I, I won't know because that's not the path we took, but how much further ahead would we be? You know, nobody can really quantify that because that's not the path we took. So now with Bitcoin, we have a chance to explore that path. I suppose. You know? So. <laughs> Who knows what the future will bring? Eh, you know, it's nice to get cosmic a little and try to imagine. What yeah. if we're wrong and Bitcoin goes to zero? We had to say it, right? Well, you know what? <laughs> yeah, let's 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 go down there. If, if we're wrong and Bitcoin goes to zero, this goes back to something you said earlier. You know, the rabbit's out of the hat. It doesn't, yeah. at this point, at, and, and I know so many people will hate me for saying this, but at this point, if Bitcoin goes to zero, it doesn't matter anymore. Mm-hmm. because now they can't stop what it's brought. Well, it'll never go to zero. No, no, I know yeah, it I, know I it won't, I heard, but... I heard Safedine say something like, if it goes down to $1, I'll buy it all. I, I was going to say. One, one of those guys has said that, and it's like, there's a lot of people that will never sell their Bitcoin. Whether, so, you know, whether even it goes down to $50 or whatever, it'll never go to zero. Okay, so so let me ask you this, right? Because, like, I'm sure, like... I mean, look, you know, you went through the uh, the bear market that we and I, I hate to call it a bear market because seriously, you know, we're still significantly up from zero back in 2009, mm-hmm. you know, so I don't really consider these bear markets. I just consider these typical cycles and I'm not such a price guy. OK, but the reality is every time Bitcoin has dropped, all I care, the only thought that I have is, damn it, I wish I had more money on the side to buy more. So and I know for a fact I'm not the only one that thinks like this. So to your point, believe Bitcoin doesn't go to zero. (laughs) It's because that you're, you're assessing your wealth in, in terms of Bitcoin. You're already using Bitcoin as a unit of account. Yeah. As, as absurd an idea that is, it's because of 
the vast understanding and and uh, uh, and research we've done on 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 this monetary paradigm shift that we think is going to happen. Uh, that you now value your wealth in terms of Bitcoin. So uh, that that takes a lot of uh, mental effort to wrap your head around. Because I remember seeing that like very early on, people were like, oh, well, one Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin. <laughs> like, you can't do the same thing with the U.S. dollar. One U.S. dollar equals one U.S. dollar. Because, you it's know, not true. I mean, although the U.S. hasn't printed money for five years, uh, I think they printed like four trillion in the five years previous. So, um <laughs> Bitcoin obviously is a different paradigm, so I, there's there's a reason people say that. But it took me a long time to understand what they were talking about. The one equals one. So I think it'll take other people a while to figure that out. I, you know what, you you bring up a good point, right? And this is something actually I discussed with uh, with Dan Held, and and he brought this up. I really like this idea: is the narrative compression, right? Like the best, like essentially, like right now, what we don't have yet in Bitcoin, but it is emerging is that perfect narrative that the narrative that brings the average person into the fold with with mm-hmm. a with a proper understanding of what it's going to mean for them yeah and, Dan and, and that's Dan what we don't really have really good at that he, he's very good at that and, and francis below is very good at that and oh yeah uh, um Masir, um yeah Masir. gg uh gg's incredible yes um, these these guys are 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 trying to distill it down, and uh, and I think Savedine has done a, a great job as well. Nope. The government economist. Nope. I said Safedine uh, has done a great job of this as well. I think you know he may not be the Austrian economist, uh, Austrian economist, but he is is helping people understand why Bitcoin might might emerge as a global money. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, yeah, Dan, I, I mean, Dan, I find he, he I, I find that he explains things uh, very simply. Like he like and that to me, like uh, it's not just to me, but there's like, you know, that quote that like, you know, the mark of a genius is to reduce the extremely complex to simple. You know, mm. so and, and that's uh, to me like that. That's exactly what he does with, you know, with Bitcoin. That dude is on another level. I got to meet him um, at uh, the MIT Bitcoin Expo. I can't believe we didn't but, meet each other there. I mean, first of all, I know, right? We were we were like crossing paths almost. Um, he he's such a great guy. First of all, I just like I just sat down and talked to him for like an hour. But man, he he's just on another level. I need to go back and like reread all his stuff because it's uh it's pretty bullish. It is. It's it's super bullish. And I recommend it to like anybody that's, you know, really wanting to get into Bitcoin and like has like decided once you've decided to take the official tumble and I'm like, I want to get into this. It's like, check out his work. You know, mm. I always refer them to him. Um, uh, obviously, Andreas, <laughs> you know, like a lot of his uh, one, one of my favorite talks is which is kind of weird. I can't find it on YouTube anymore is uh 50 what is it uh, 50 currencies that'll be worth that'll be worth dog shit or something like that or 50 currencies that are worth dog shit anyways i don't i i've watched like 100 of his videos i don't know that one though <laughs> I, i'm gonna see i i kid you not man it's like gone off of youtube i i, I that that was one that i saw like probably back in 20 eh, i'd say late 2017 maybe early 2018 
Another really good resource to uh, point people to, I think, is uh, Gigi's Twenty One Lessons. Yes, if you haven't read through that whole thing, oh man, he just he just lays out all these little little tidbits, um, and just really wraps up, you know, the value proposition of Bitcoin, and 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 he kind of tries to attack it from a few different angles. And, and I actually, I think it's incredible work. I did a podcast with him. Uh, if uh, I don't know if yeah. you checked it out, but man, he yeah, is, he's he's okay. super cool. He, he's, yeah, he's he, awesome. He's like super, super cool. And he's like extremely intelligent. So it's like, I, I, I love that, you know, like for me, it's, okay. you know, I, yeah. So, um, yeah, I just going to, Oh, it just totally cut out. Oh, sorry. Um, I don't know what's going on with my wifi here. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Uh, I reached out to Gigi, uh, recently and, uh, he was like, Oh yeah, I'm working on this article. Um, do you want to take a look at it? And uh, I, I mean, maybe he'd already had somebody else take a look at it, but I found like one like very minor thing that I would have changed, and the rest of it was just like such genius. And he's like, "Oh, thanks for the help." And I was like, "Do you like just like the the it was the gravity article?" Um, yeah. I was like, "Man, I get to read this before everybody else." <laughs> Is that not such an it honor? It wasn't that I helped him at all. Oh my god, that is absolutely awesome. Okay, so uh, hey yeah. Ben, Ben for the uh, for the listeners out there, because like I mean, I can just keep talking to you forever, and I think we're going to end up having another one of these talks. Um, but uh, let me ask you this: Do you do you run a lightning node? Yes. Awesome. What do you, uh, if you don't mind me asking, what type do you run? I don't have a wall of nodes like you do, but uh, I just have a. <laughs> I have Pierre Richard's node launcher. Uh, nice. It's just that simple. Nice. I've never been like a geek's geek. I've always just been kind of like this in-between, you know, um, guy where I, I've always had a real close eye on, on, on computers, but I've, you know, I've always been interested in lots of other things too. Um, so here Richard is just like, if you haven't seen his node launcher, it's like windows, Mac and Linux, download it, install it, follow like five steps and it's, it's up and running. And I have a, have a full Bitcoin node, full lightning node, and it, and it works, works great. Um, I only had a few minor issues and I just jumped into telegram and he's right there to help you out. He is um, so it's going to be over four in the next release, I believe, um, which is awesome. Um, but I would like to get a nodal. Uh, I think that having a dedicated piece of hardware, um, I, I'm still kind of trying to let it flesh out into like, you know, it's like that whole thing about buying and tech. Uh, I, I'd really like to see solidify a little bit more, but they already have such a great product. That's probably what I would get if I was going to get a hardware box. But um, I'm sure that the, uh, that you would probably be shilling those uh those little Raz Raspberry Blitz things, and I know you have a bunch of those, and I'm sure that that's a cheaper option too. So I, yeah, I, I haven't done all my research yet. So <laughs> well, you know what? I'll uh, I'll point you to uh, I wrote an article about uh, it's called Adventures in Lightning Land, and it's mm. exactly about my my whole trip down all these different lightning nodes and trying them out, and you know doing the research. So it, it might actually be helpful. And I also outlined the different price points. And so I'll send you the link to it if you're interested. It's it's a short read, nine minutes, and uh, yeah. But uh, to go back to it, I have yeah, I have a raspy, I have uh, the raspy blitzes, and I have uh, a Casa node, and I don't have a Noddle yet, but I do intend on getting one. The big difference though with the Noddle is that it's obviously it's more powerful, okay, than a Casa. It's more powerful than Raspy Blitz, but it has to be because, or I shouldn't say it has to be, but it has the other piece that it has that those nodes don't have yet is BTC Pay Server. Right. So that you can uh, 
you know, shout out to uh, Nicholas Dorier for uh, for oh. making for making BitPay obsolete. obsolete. I love that tweet. Yes. I love that tweet. <laughs> so good. Oh, it's so good. But yes. Um, so lies. <laughs> sorry. Oh, lies. You said. Yep, lies. I loved it. <laughs> um, so yeah, that that's awesome. So look, um, we're gonna uh, we're gonna wrap it up, man. But uh, it, it's been really really great. It's been really great talking to you. And uh, if if people want to uh, if people want to find you, what's the best way to uh, to reach out to you? Uh, I mostly just uh, rant on Twitter, so uh, just reach out to me at m r c o o l b p Ben Prentice, and uh, and listen to me just rant endlessly about inflation. So <laughs> I uh, I'm gonna put uh, contact details in the uh, in the show notes as well. For, uh, for your Twitter so thank you very much and uh, so Ben I, I really appreciate your time and I really really enjoyed this conversation man thank you so much for being <laughs> on my podcast thanks man thanks for letting me rant at you for an hour <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say it was at we, we went back and forth it was pretty good <laughs> I liked it it was a great time man thank you so much for having me on cool alright bye later I hope everybody enjoyed my discussion with Mr. Cool BP, Ben Prentice. Um, look for his Twitter contact details in the show notes. Uh, I'm also going to post a link to his, um, his Twitter feed so that people can go check out some of his inflation rants. And of course, as always, if you want to reach out to me on Twitter or Telegram, I'm at CoinIcarus. If you want to reach out to me by email, I'm funwithcrypto at protonmail.com. Be reckless, have fun, catch you all next time.